February is right around the corner, and uh, that means there are a lot of exciting things that are, that are coming up next month. But uh, one of those for us as a church is Awaken. Now, Awaken is our opportunity each year to wake up to the more that God has for us. Uh, it's when we spend intentional time praying for our family, for our friends, for renewal in our hearts, revival in our city, and awakening across Middle Tennessee. For Awaken, next month, our theme is Abide. In John 15, Jesus says, if you abide in me and I in you, you'll bear much fruit, but apart from me, you can do nothing. And see, what happens is when we abide in Jesus, breakthrough happens in our lives for us and, and for those around us, for the world around us. And for, for the month of Awaken, uh, we invite the entire church to join us and spend time um, devoted to fasting and praying. And so if you're not real familiar with fasting, it's, it's basically it's giving up something that we want, namely food, for something that we want more, namely God. And when we set aside um, the time that we're normally thinking about food, um, talking about food, getting food, eating food, I don't know about you, but I can be eating food, planning on eating the next food, and, uh, and dream about eating at a place that I want to eat down the road. Like we can, we can spend all that time and energy to spend toward food. We spend that time um, focused on our spiritual lives, on spiritual growth, and it's a powerful time. Uh, when I can look back in my life, I can see some of the most um, impactful seasons and moments of my life, um, encounters with God, breakthroughs, insight, wisdom that I gain. I can trace it all back to those seasons of fasting and prayer. If I'm real honest, it's my least favorite spiritual discipline, but it's, it's like the most effective um, in my life. And, uh, and as a pastor, I feel like I, I failed you if I didn't invite you take a next step and take a next step and fast it takes courage so let me give you let me give you three steps um, the first is is I would encourage you to pick a fast pick a fast for the month and, and decide um, what it should be maybe it's a partial fast or juice fast or Daniel fast or a sun up sundown fast there are a lot of different options if you're if you're sitting here going I have no idea what you're talking about then and that's okay I, I would encourage you to go to crosspoint.tv slash awaken and if you go there we've got a fasting guide for you and, uh, and read through it and, uh, and ask God um, what would work for you. And it's not a competition between um, other people with other people. It's a, it's a relationship with, with you and God. And, uh, and it doesn't have to be food if that doesn't work for you. Um, our, our guide will give you some other great ideas for some alternate fast. Uh, second, I would encourage you to pick a date. Now, I would encourage you to get out your calendar, uh, look on your phone, um, maybe you can print out the month and, uh, and then just mark down when you're committing to fast. Um, maybe it's a, a couple days during the month or a particular day every, every week of the month, or maybe it's an entire week, or maybe it's an entire, entire month. Um, I would encourage you to pick a type of fast and then make a plan. Just write it out, lock it, out, lock it in on the, on the calendar like an appointment. And then, uh, and then third, I want to encourage you to fill up. Um, the reason we make room in our lives through fasting, and we're making space, we're making room for God. So fill up that space um, with things that, that, that encourage you and speak to your heart. Just we're saying no to one thing so we can say yes to the best thing. So fill that space with worship and with prayer and scripture and solitude, giving, serving. Um, make space and, uh, and fill that up. And we've created a, a daily prayer guide um, with scripture and prayer points to help you. Um, we're, um, I'm out here right now, we're outside because we're, we're filming some, some great resources to help you through this. Uh, one of the things that we've prepared for you is a podcast and it's a daily podcast, about 10, 15 minutes, but it's gonna help you with prayer and, and meditation so that you can, you can fill up your hearts while you're, while you're going for a walk or while you're working out on the treadmill, or, or maybe as you're making your daily commute, I mean, as you're sitting in that Nashville traffic, like we wanna help make your car a prayer chapel, just bless that traffic, that commute. 
and uh, we want to help you with that. And, uh, and we, we finish off Awaken uh, on February 28th with the night of worship. And I'm telling you, you're not going to want to miss this. I'd send you a Google invite to lock it on your calendar, but I got no idea how to do that. So, uh, so you're going to have to get out your phone and lock it in yourself. And then next week, we start Awaken. But this week, we finish up Take Courage. And I, I was so encouraged by how many of you took courage, took a next step toward finding a group. That is that's wonderful. It's so good. Today, we finish off the series um, with Pastor Josh Reed. And uh, Josh is one of the pastors here at Crosspoint. He serves and helps us with discipleship. He, is, um, he loves nothing more than to be in a room with some people, open up the Bible, and help them connect their story with the story of Jesus. And, uh, and I'm excited to have him uh, help us get across the finish line today in this series. So would you put your hands together and welcome Pastor Josh Reed. Good morning, Cross Point. It's really grateful to be with you this morning. Uh, the last few weeks, we've been talking about what it looks like to take courage, uh, to take a step. And you, as I was thinking about that, you know uh, when it's hard to take courage and to take a step is when you're in the dark. And it's also hard to take courage and take a step when you're afraid. And I have a, a story I want to share with you when I was in the dark and I was, at a fr and I was afraid. And it's where all good dark and afraid stories start. Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Uh, for those of you watching online, uh, everybody, almost everybody who grew up in the Dirty South has a story that ties back to Gatlinburg, Tennessee or Panama City, Florida, uh, which basically, uh, let's be honest, they're the same town. Just one has oceans and one has mountains. Um, <laughs> nowhere in the history of the world can you get so many things airbrushed and so many funnel cakes in one place, right? It's like a starter pack for each city. The only, like, but Gatlinburg throws in a pocket knife. I think that's the difference. I think that's the major difference. But, but my father owned a lumber yard with two of his brothers. And uh, when, they were growing, when I was growing up, they would take their families and their employees to Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area for Labor Day weekend every year. And so this was a staple in my childhood, and, and I loved it. I loved it. I can remember driving up through the North Georgia mountains, and we'd get to Cherokee, and, and that's when I knew we were getting close, and we'd get off... Uh, there on the main drag, and we'd go down into the Okona Lefty River, and I'd be soaking wet from the knees down, and my mom would already be yelling at me, and we ain't even made it into the uh, Smoky uh, Mountain National Forest yet. And then we'd roll into town, and the Brass Lantern, and the Peddler were there, and the Pancake Pantry, and some of y'all are like, I know all those spots. And what we would do every year, we would stay at this place uh, called Edgewater. And since I was much uh, younger than my brother and sister, my parents would often let me bring a friend along. And so I decided to bring uh, one of my baseball homies, Brian, when I was about 10 years old. And so we pull in Edgewater and we're, we're staying there. And if you, if you know River Road in Gatlinburg, Edgewater is right beside a haunted house. And uh, maybe you know this place. If you know it, say it out. It's the mysterious mansion. I know it sounds just like a Scooby-Doo episode. And so I don't like jump scares. I don't like uh, scary movies. And I hate haunted houses. I, I don't get the concept of paying people money that you earned to come scare the hoot nanny out of you. Like, I don't, I don't get that concept. I think there's better ways to invest your money. But uh, Brian and I were feeling particularly adventurous one day, and there was a stairwell that was beside the, the mysterious mansion, and we were like, you know, let's explore. And I, I think back in the day, I don't know since the fire if it's like this, but I think there was a, like a covered patio that connected those two. And so we were like, let's just go in the stairwell and see if that door is open toward the mysterious man, just to kind of get a peek at it. And so we were, we were walking down 
the stairwell, and I was like, let me just go down there, Brian, and Brian was a little bit behind me, and when I got in there, it was pitch black dark, but except for the little bit of light where the door was, where he was, where he was coming in. And as I got to about where the door was, I heard the door where he was at close, and I was like, uh-oh. Uh, Brian, can you open that back up? I can't see. And he started tugging on that door, and it wouldn't open. And it's pitch black dark. And in my 10-year-old mind, because I think there's this covered path, like the haunted house and the hotel are one and the same. You get it? Like, so the fear in my heart starts rising. I mean, who needs, a, who needs to go to a haunted house, right? Life's scary enough sometimes. I actually felt like I was in a Scooby-Doo episode at this point. Please leave, you know. <laughs> well, Brian started freaking out, and he's, he tries to get down to me. And so he's, all I hear is, and I was like, oh, no. And he, like, twists his ankle, and he's hurt badly at this point. And so I'm like, man, what do we do? And the only thing I knew to do was, like, let's just keep going further down. Maybe at the ground floor there's hope. <laughs> and so I grabbed Limpin' Brian's arm and led him down the stairwell with me. Basically, what I'm trying to tell you is I saved his life, all right? We were walking down. <laughs> no, to, to be honest, it was more like the blind leading the blind. Uh, but the doors kept being locked at each floor, and I was like, oh, my gosh, how are we, what are we going to do? And so we get all the way to the bottom, and I was feeling around. I was groping around in the dark, and I happened to feel that there was a push bar instead of a pull handle. And I was like, this is our chance. And I pushed that door open, and all of a sudden, light came flooding in. And I had never felt so relieved in my life. I mean, Limpin' Brian was still hurting, but I was like, hee, hee, you know, I was like doing the Michael Jackson in the sunlight, the warmth of this. I can picture it to this day. It was one of the glorious moments in my life. But I learned something that day. I learned something at 10. And that's the value of being able to see. Of being able to see. Matter of fact, unless you're driving while listening to this message, everybody close your eyes for a minute. Everybody close your eyes. We just don't have many moments after we wake up where we actually think about the fact that we have the gift of sight. All right, go ahead and open your eyes. And now I realize perhaps for some of you listening to this message or one of the campuses or online, blindness actually is your physical reality. Either in totality or in partial sight impairment, I actually have to wear contacts because I have sight impairment as well. And so just know that my heart goes out to you. Um, I'm really sorry, not because I think you won't pity, but because you know tangibly each day that things aren't the way they're supposed to be. And today I want to look at a story about blindness from the book of Mark that will help us understand the gift that sight truly is. But not with the eyes in our head, but also with the eyes of our heart. Mark chapter 10, uh, verse 46 says this, hear the word of the Lord. Then they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a large crowd, a blind beggar named Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the road. And when he heard that it was Jesus the Nazarene, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Everybody say mercy. Many were sternly telling him to be quiet, but he kept crying out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him here. So they called the blind man. 
saying to him, take courage, stand up. He's calling for you. And throwing aside his cloak, he jumped up and came to Jesus. In answering him, Jesus said, what do you want me to do for you? I love how Jesus never assumes, right? And the blind man said to him, Rabboni, I want to regain my sight. And Jesus said to him, go, your faith has made you well. And immediately he regained his sight and he began following him on the road. Now this story is about a blind man, but this story is also about blind men and blind women. And Mark has strategically placed the material around this story to cause us to reflect on the kind of blindness that was prevalent in Jesus' day. I'd encourage you this week to go grab some of the stories around it to get this fuller context this week. But the kind of blindness that was prevalent in Jesus' day was spiritual blindness. Whether it's blind to the realities of life, to, the, to spiritual truths, or having blind spots, that problem still persists today. And maybe you're here today because you're trying to make sense of the world we live in. Or maybe you're listening in today because you're not sure what your purpose is in life. Uh, maybe you've attended today because you need hope and you're not quite sure where to get it. Maybe this is a desperate cry because of being trapped in patterns or habits that you can't seem to shake. Maybe you just love gathering with the people of God and you need more of Jesus. You sense you just need more of Jesus. I'm really glad you're here, whatever the reason is. It's not by accident, and I want you to take that last statement in. It's not by accident or happenstance that you're here. And regardless of the reason, we can all agree that at some level, we have some measure of blindness, whether totality or in blind spots, sight impairment. And so there's two things from this passage that I believe the Lord wants to help us with today with our own issues of blindness. Two things that if you will take them in and receive them and take courageous action toward one or even both, it will transform your life. It will help you see. And the first thing that we need courage for today is this, the courage to grab someone's hand and lead them to light. The courage to grab someone's hand and lead them to light. Last year, Barna Research released a study on discipleship saying that only about 30% of people who identify with Christians are actively engaged in helping others find and follow Jesus. Actively engaged in helping others find the light. So what's interesting is that for those that do, Barna says that the top motivations are that helping others actually helps themselves grow in their relationship with God and further develops their own faith. I hope you heard that in the video. So they grow, the people who are actively involved in helping others grow, they grow not by primarily focusing on their own growth, but by helping others grow. You tracking with me? And so why is it a struggle for the other 70%? And let's just be honest, even the 30th engaged, I'm sure there's a good struggle too. Why is this a struggle for us? What keeps folks from taking that step? Well, we know it when we see it, like we did a few weeks back in the video of Miss Marianne, and she took Nikki's hand and helped her 
uh, find and follow Jesus a little more. We, and we felt that story. And if you, if, you don't, if you don't know the story I'm talking about, you can go to CrossPoint's app and click Watch and Stories and then find the one that says Comfort and Company. You can also find it on the YouTube channel as well. But I love that story so much. And that story moved many of us when we heard from you and you're like, man, I love that story. So we know it when we see it, but what keeps us from taking that step? What keeps us from taking that step of grabbing somebody's hand and helping them find the light? Well, there's, there's probably many reasons, but I think one of them is this. We're busy. We're busy. I remember talking to an Indian pastor one time and, and you know, he talked about how impoverished America was as a nation. And it took me by surprise. That's normally not what you hear other nations talk about America. And I was like, what do you mean? He was like, it's the most time-poor nation I've ever met in my life. And I was like, man, why you come at me like that? I was just trying to have a conversation, bro. We're so busy. We're living 70 miles an hour. And I think that one of the problems uh, in this story is that they were busy too. They were just hurrying along the roads of Jericho, following Jesus, thinking all about what Jesus could do for them. It just didn't seem like they had much time thinking about what Jesus could do for others. That's why they didn't see a blind man on the side of the road. They didn't see him. And when they did see him, or they heard him, they're like, shh, we're going, we going to Jerusalem, shh. They were blind to their busyness, blind to the needs of others. Bartimaeus was blind, but they were too. And I, I don't know about you, but I know I can be like that too. You see, investing in other people is really inefficient if our goal is to, attend, to ascend to the top of some ladder of either personally or culturally defined success. Investing in others is really inefficient for that. And those are moving targets anyway because they're based on our own feelings or perceptions about the world or based on other people's opinions. I'm trying to ascend some ladder because I think somebody else thinks that I should be. Like those are moving targets. And the verse directly before this story, uh, verse 45, actually gets at this. Jesus is talking to his disciples about what the purpose of his ministry and really what the purpose of life, not just his life, but life is. Look at this verse in verse 1045. It says, for even the son of man, he's talking about himself, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Investing in other people and helping lead them to the light of who Jesus is. Listen, it's slow work. It's slow work, but it's good work. And I promise you, it's the kind of work God loves to bring people in on. He loves to bring, and not just pastors, but every disciple. He loves to bring the Mary Ann's. And guys, guys like me, Josh, he loves to bring you in on it, and you in on it, and you. He loves to bring you in on this. He's actually promised his presence when you do. I'll be with you to the end of the age. You'll find fresh power, you'll find fresh grace. It'll hurt you, and it'll heal you, and if you stay at it, Long enough, you'll develop. You'll develop a deep longing for him and his return. Because you'll know how much you need him in it. And as your friends grow, guess what? You'll grow too. You'll grow too. 
2023, you had a New Year's resolution. It's like, man, I wanna grow in my relationship with Jesus. This might be your courageous next step. And we wanna help. And so on your way out today, you're gonna receive a bookmark. And uh, it goes along with the Awaken series that Pastor Kevin was just talking about. And if you scan this QR code right here, it'll take you to those resources that we're scrolling. But on the back side of this, there's a place for your name, and then there's a place for five other names right here. And those, those blanks right there are for you to write uh, some of your friends or family members or coworkers, just people in your sphere of influence, so that as you're tracking along this series, you can pray for them. It's people that you love and that God loves and that you'd love to see God's love be more in their lives in 2023, that they would begin to experience more of God's pray, uh, peace and presence and love in their life. This is just gonna function as a prayer guide for, for your friends or family over the next month. And as you're praying for them, if you, if you sense God give you a nudge or a prompt to encourage them, send a, send a text of encouragement or invite them to a group or invite them to a service or, or let's go for a, a walk or maybe go grab a cup of coffee, let's go play some ball, something like that. Talk about things that matter when you do. Be super intentional with that time. That's the best part about it. And so just, we just wanna help. We just wanna help and give you that. And so take this, stick it in your Bible, and as you read uh, each day over the next month, let's lift up our friends and our family members to this. But what I don't want you to think is this. Oh, okay, this is for people who've got all their stuff together. Josh, you, I don't have all my stuff together. Well, join the club. Join the club. Because this isn't for people who've got all their stuff together. It's like the old preacher says, it's just one beggar helping another beggar where to find the bread. Or in this case, where to find the light in the dark stairwell. It's the courage to make disciples. The first thing we need courage for today is the courage to take someone's hand and lead them to the light. But the second thing, the second thing we need courage for today is gonna be a little tougher pill to swallow. And it's hard to come to grips with. And it's this, it's the courage to admit we actually need sight. It's the courage to admit that we actually need sight, that we don't have it all figured out, that we don't have it all together, and that we actually need help. Every single person in the world can actually, in some measure, admit this. But it's so hard. And the story of Bartimaeus is a contrast to the story just before it. Because in that story, Jesus' disciples, James and John, two of his inner circle, they come to Jesus and they go, Jesus literally just talks about how he's about to die and, and he has to suffer at the hands. He tells the story and James and John are like, hey Jesus, um, we want you to do whatever we want. That's actually in the Bible. His disciples are like, Jesus, uh, do what we tell you. <laughs> That's crazy. And here's what's even crazier. Jesus doesn't even rebuke them. You know what Jesus says? What do you want me to do for you? Sound familiar? And they go, Jesus, grant that we may sit, one on your right and one on your left, in your glory. These dudes are basically like, uh, Jesus, we want to be vice president and speaker of the house. Um, Jesus, we want to be CFO and COO. Uh, Jesus, we want to be the offensive coordinator and the defensive coordinator. They were coming to Jesus. Whatever they had in their minds was about to take place in Jerusalem. I can promise you it didn't involve him dying. It involved him being crowned and being king of the world. And they're like, we want to position Jesus. 
Were they qualified? No, but that's what they wanted. We want the position, Jesus. What's interesting is when Jesus asked the same question to Bartimaeus, he doesn't ask for a position, he asks for perception. He wanted to see. Jesus asked, what do you want? And of all the things that the blind man could have said, he said, Jesus, I want to see. And so let's just take a quick stock in your own heart, in my own heart. When I come to Jesus, am I asking for a position or am I asking for perception? Because those are two radically different requests. Question, how many of us in here are watching online or one of your other campuses, have you ever bought a self-help book? Raise your hand. Yeah, I have, I know. Anybody bought a self-help book? Yeah. Now, maybe some of us have a whole shelf of self-help books. Sally Shells, Seashells, down by the... Self-help has this place for sure. This isn't a bash self-help genre or anything like that. That's, this isn't what that is. But, but some of us were talking about this the other day, and it occurred to us this, that if you live long enough, you realize that ultimately... Self can't help self, because who got self in this self anyway, in this mess anyway? <laughs> like self can't help self because self needs more help than self because self got myself in this mess in the first place. And that might be cute for a Dr. Seuss book, but it don't work in real life. It don't work in real life. Self-care and self-help have its place, but if perception is off, it can only take you as far as the next book as the next thing. Because the kind of blindness this story is confronting isn't merely the eyes in our head, it's confronting the eyes of our heart. It's a spiritual blindness. And the essence or the core of spiritual blindness is what? Self-sufficiency. That's why all this stuff is super appealing to us because it makes you and I the hero. The core of spiritual blindness is self-sufficiency. And it kind of sounds like this. I got this. I got this. I can earn my way out of this. I can, I can learn my way out of this. I can give my way out of this. I can get my way out of this. I can think my way out of this. I can talk my way out of this. Until we realize we're in a staircase and all the doors are locked. How many of us have fallen victim to this? Man, I know I have. Y'all with me? And if we're not careful, the bookcase will just become another staircase trying to climb out of the messes we find ourselves in. And the healing of Bartimaeus, this story, it's a beautiful act of compassion from Jesus. I, he really, listen, he really does have the power to heal physical blindness. It's amazing the compassion that Jesus has and who he sees. He sees people nobody else sees, and he just beelines for them, it seems like, all the time. It's amazing. So I'm not trying to swerve on the reality that he healed a blind man in Jericho, all right? I'm just trying to highlight that it's a sign. Everybody say sign. It's a sign, and a sign by nature is meant to do what? To point us to something else. You can't just hang out at the sign looking for the sign all the time because the sign is just that. It's a sign pointing to something else. If you were bleeding badly on the side of the road, you wouldn't go to the blue sign that says H that has an arrow on it. You wouldn't go to that sign and just hang out there expecting to be healed. You would die. Why? 
because that's not where the help is. That's a sign. It's meant to point to something else. You would bleed out. You would follow that sign to the actual hospital to find the doctor for the healing that we actually need. And so the healing of blind Bartimaeus, it's real, but we're meant to follow it to what it's pointing to. And that's a view of the world where Jesus is the king of a kingdom of people who know they need mercy. You tracking? Who knows that apart from him opening the eyes of our heart, we will never see. That's what a worldview is. It's a view of the world that you are seeing. It's, it's what you think is ultimately true about the world and the purpose of it all. And there are five questions I wanna give you to get to the root of either your worldview or anyone else's for that matter, so that we can help one another say, what do I actually believe? Because we live out of our worldview. And these questions are this, how did it all begin? What's it all for? What went wrong? Is there any hope? And where's it all going? How did it all begin? These are origin stories. How did all this start? Because that matters. What you believe about that matters. What's it all for? What's purpose, significance, meaning? Is there any hope? Well, first off, what went wrong? Because clearly something ain't right. And what went wrong? And then is there any hope for what went wrong? Are we just stuck in this? And where's it all going? Now, these questions, they're not, they're not new. And if you've seen them, or if you're a student and have taken a philosophy class at Belmont or Lipscomb or Trevecca or Vandy or TSU or any of the other fine institutions here in the Athens of the South, then you know these questions have been asked for centuries. We need answers. People need answers to these questions. We're meaning-making Creatures. It's why people run to Joe Rogan and Oprah Winfrey and Jordan Peterson. They are willing to supply answers for these things. And it's why people uh, are running toward the religions of the world, not away. Religion is on the rise in the world. It's not decreasing. And just get under the favorite songs that you sing. Get under the stories of all the TV shows you watch. They're asking and answering these questions for us all the time, and it's shaping our worldview. And one of my favorite things to do is to tease this out, to carry them out to their logical end. And so one of our culture's most dominant answers to that second question involving purpose and meaning and significance is this. You're a nobody unless you're somebody's somebody. That you're a nobody unless you're somebody's person. I'll give you one example. I can't live if living is without you. I can't live. I can't give anymore. I can't. No, I'm just kidding. I didn't fix him to do that. <laughs> I'm trying to spare y'all's ears this morning. <laughs> Harry Nilsson wrote that in 1971. Mariah Carey sang it in 1993. But that idea has pulsed through every music genre, TV shows, movies, books, Instagram posts, and conversations for your entire life. That's one of the dominant themes in our culture, that there's no purpose in life unless you're somebody's person. Now, I took an Uber from the airport last weekend, and my driver just opened up to me, and we started talking. And for all intents and purposes, he seemed to have a decent job. He had come through some really intense childhood trauma. So I was like, man, this is, this is an incredible conversation. But all of a sudden, he goes, yeah, 
but I'm not really satisfied and I'm not really motivated for anything. I was like, that was weird. Why not? He goes, man, I'm 38. I don't have a wife. I don't have kids. I'm really behind the eight ball in life. I was like, what? Says who? Says who? And he goes, I mean, that's what life's all about, right, Josh? And I said, well, man, I guess it just depends on what stories you're believing to be true about the world. Um, Where was that idea coming from? For his life, he had been shaped by songs and shows and movies and books and stories that he's nobody unless he's somebody's person so that he just feels meaningless and purposeless in life. And this isn't like, this isn't bash marriage and kids. I'm for it. I'm a married, I have six kids. I'm for it. But if that's the ultimate purpose in life, something's wrong. And so the Holy Spirit just recalled this article I read one time in Time Magazine where they do like the most, uh, 100 most important figures in the world. And guess who number one was? Jesus Christ. Napoleon was second. Weird flex, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> it's like, Really? But I just told him, I said, man, I told him about this article and I said, so here's the thing. If marriage and kids is the point of life, then Jesus, who Time Magazine says is the most important figure in all of history, missed it. He missed it. And he goes, huh, I never thought about that. Man, and then he got saved and then like he's already memorized four gospels and he's going to the ends of the earth to preach it. No, I'm just kidding. The conversation got super weird after that, actually. I was like, what? But here's the point. Be really careful what is sourcing the answers to these five questions for you. Because we live out of not our stated beliefs about these things, but our lived beliefs about these things. The things that shape our greatest hopes and our greatest fears and our dreams and our habits and our disappointments all flow from this. And if the dominant cultural themes in our day, just like in Jesus' day, is the basis of your worldview, it's like the blind leading the blind. Because the irony in this story and the hope is that the blind man is the one who actually sees. Bartimaeus is the one who actually sees Jesus. He's the only one who really sees what's going on. The eyes of his, in his head are closed, but the eyes of his heart are wide open. You know why? Because he's the only one in the story who knows he's blind, who is willing to admit his need. And because he knows he's blind, He's the only one who sees that his need for mercy is palpable, so he cries out to Jesus, who he believes is the only one who can save him so that he might gain the gift of sight. But can I tell you something? I just think Jesus confirmed for the eyes in his head what the eyes of his heart had already believed, mainly that Jesus is who he says he is that he is who the word says he is, the long-awaited savior come to lead people from darkness into eternal light and life. That's called faith. Everybody say faith. And apart from it, no one can be saved. It takes faith. And Jesus told him, your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. And so maybe you're listening today and you feel that you're in the staircase, right? Right? Maybe you feel like you've been just groping around in the darkness for a long time. 
And maybe there are areas in your life where you're just looking for answers. Maybe relationships or, or financial situation. Or maybe you're looking for answers about sex or sexuality. Maybe you're looking for answers about marital strife. Or maybe you just can't put your finger on what the thing is, but there's something that's just gnawing, missing. Maybe you've just been trying to climb the ladder at the expense of your own family, going to 70 miles an hour. Maybe you've rounded third on your life and wondering, like my grandfather did at 82 years old, Josh, did I miss it? Did I miss it? Maybe you're just carrying a persistent fear that you can't seem to get to the ground floor of. Maybe today you're looking for answers to these big worldview questions. These are all ways that seem really dark, but, but can I share some good news? The good news is that you don't have to be your own savior. That you don't have to be the self-sufficient one to figure all this out on your own. That's the trick. And Jesus came to rescue us from that plight. If you look at every other religion, all the other philosophers, if you listen to the popular voices all day, you know what they're gonna say? Whatever answers or directions you're looking for, they're gonna say it's ultimately up to you. You gotta save yourself. And the Bible claims to be the true story of the whole world. And so guess what it says? It says, how did all this begin? That there's a God who has always existed in a community of self-giving love. Father loving the Son, the Son loving the Father, the Spirit carrying that love back and forth. And by, by expression of love, he creates the world, the heavens and the earth, and he invites all of that into that experience of self-giving love. Love. Now, can you imagine a world where everybody gave and nobody takes? That's the world you and I were made for. And we can't even fathom it because of the reality that happened when it all went wrong. What went wrong is there was some rebellions in the heavenlies that came and tricked the people on earth, deceived the people on earth. People that, uh, beings that wanted to be God but got kicked out. So they said, hey, we wanna rule, so let's go and rule the place where we know we can rule, and that's to get in between God and humans so that you can start listening to different voices than God's. And by turning that downward, turning the focus of humans downward, we began to spread across the globe with a self-deception, with eyes wide closed. And is there any hope? There is. Because in that moment of rebellion, God came to them and said, look, though the consequences of spiritual blindness is real, I'm gonna make you a promise. And that promise is this, I'm gonna send one to fix this mess we've got ourselves in. And the Bible is a really long answer to a really short question, who is that one that God's gonna send? And we know it when we see it. For those who have eyes and who have hearts that want it, you know it when you see it. And when Jesus showed up, he didn't live like anybody else has ever lived. When there was blind people around, he could make them see. When there was deaf people around, he could make them hear. When there was dead people, something that wasn't supposed, he could raise them up to life. And when he spoke, he spoke with such an authority that nobody had ever heard anything like it. Who is this man? In Jesus, God was making good on his promises. 
And we see the light of his life most clearly when he was hanging on the cross. Why? Because that's the greatest expression of self-giving love that's ever been displayed in the history of time. That's why he's the most important figure in history. Not because time said so, but because the Father said so. And he gave his life away, showing you what life is all about. But it wasn't just a mere example. He was offering his as a substitute so that we can actually take his life and substitute for ours so that we can actually be made right with the Father. Come on, somebody. Hey, here's a free gift. Take it. Come to the light. And where's it all going? Well, it's going to this place where he's gonna reign and rule for all eternity. And can I just give you a glimpse of what Revelation says? We're not even gonna need the sun because the light of the lamb is so bright. The purity of his life and the invitation then is to us, do you want in? Do you want in on this kingdom? The step is this, God, open my eyes. Open the eyes of my heart and melt it by the grace and the mercy that can only flow from you. And so I'm gonna invite the music team and I'm gonna invite our prayer teams forward. And we're gonna sing a song by a man who once was blind. He was blind to his own blindness. But when his blindness was made known, he cried out for mercy and God gave him sight and his life became a integral, integral, Peace of abolishing slavery. You know this song, but let me ask you, have you ever sung Amazing Grace and asked God to open the eyes of your heart? And so if you're here today, and you listen, you feel the blindness, I wanna offer these words to you again. Take courage, stand up, Savior's calling you. And as we sing, I want to encourage you to come and pray. Pray for mercy. Receive so that you might receive the gift of sight. Our prayer teams are going to come. You can come and pray with them. But perhaps you're already a follower today. And you're like, God's revealed some blind spots today. I want to invite you to come and pray as well. To receive mercy and steps. To perhaps it's time to start taking others by the hand and help lead them to light. Just as we sing, I want you to come and pray, either where you are or come and meet with one of our team. Let's, let's pray. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the gift of your son. And though this is a familiar song, would you let us hear it with fresh ears and see it with fresh eyes, fresh eyes of our heart, and let it become the cry of our own hearts, Lord. Hearts who are desperate for mercy, who are desperate for sight and who believe that you are the only one who can actually give it. Jesus, thank you not only for being a light of life, but for being the light of the world to come and rescue us from the darkness that has pervaded history long enough. Thank you that when you came up out of that grave, you turned death backwards and you turned night backwards. The day's already dawning, Jesus. So come quickly. We look for you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.
Soon. 